have a difficult conversation before things get difficult. So being able to say, we're going to have this conversation so that when it's time to have it, it's not like, oh, we need to talk. It's like, remember, we're going to have a talk and then you say all the things you got to say. Welcome to Hiring School, a weekly podcast about recruiting for non-recruiters. I'm Jackie Koch, and I have over 15 years of experience prospecting talent and building teams for Fortune 500 companies, startups, and small businesses in all different types of industries. I'm the founder and CEO of People Principles, where I help founders scale and lead their teams with programs, courses, and boutique agency services. My goal is to simplify the hiring and team building process so that you, founders, and not so solopreneurs, can implement modern, effective, and efficient hiring strategies that help you build the team that you want to help you scale. If you can't seem to find the right job candidates or simply don't know where to start, you're in the right place. Now let's get started. Welcome back to the Hiring School podcast, the podcast all about recruiting for non-recruiters. And today we have an amazing special guest, Lisa Coombs. Lisa is an expert in freelancing from building her own thriving business to hiring freelancers. And so I often pick her brain about best practices for hiring freelancers and tips and tricks for how to make the most of them. And I'm so excited that she's on the show today for you guys to learn from her. When I say she's an expert, she's literally been on all sides of the freelance game from building a really great, successful business as a copywriting freelancer to building out a team of copywriters and contractors. And now she really specializes in helping other freelancers build thriving businesses. She teaches them how to do it. So she knows all of the things about it. And we dive into all things about hiring from what types of projects that lend themselves best to a freelancer. How should you hire them? How to utilize different marketplaces that exist out there for freelancers like Upwork and how to really use that tool and that platform. And I personally had such an aha moment when she was going through her application and hiring process And she shared some tips that she does for the application that I really have found throughout the last, you know, five or six years to be ineffective for full-time hiring, but they are so effective for freelance hiring. And so I'm totally bringing them back into my world when it comes to freelancing. So I'm so excited for you to dig in and listen in and get some tips on how to hire freelancers. Because I personally think maybe some of the first hires you need to make in your business is not actually an assistant, but is actually a freelancer to take over a project, which of course we've talked about in prior episodes. So excited for you to tune in. Make sure that you follow Lisa Coombs on Instagram at Lisa Coombs. And let's dive in and listen up. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to Hiring School. Thanks so much for being on the show. I feel like it's such a long time coming. Jackie, I'm so proud of you for putting this out. Every time I see Hiring School, my heart goes, what is she going to teach me? And I'll tell you why, because at the retreat, when you taught me literally how to show up like a professional and interview people like a real boss, it just gave me so much more confidence and I was able to hire better people and get them started in the right way. So I love what you're doing with this. 
Yay. Well, thank you so much. And I'm so happy it translated for you. And it's just such a fun full circle moment for me because I am so excited to dig into you. I feel like you're an expert in an area that I have supported a bit with, but definitely don't know a ton about. So I can't wait to share that with the listeners. What I would love to start out is just give us an elevator pitch of your business and maybe how it's evolved and what you're up to now these days. I'm a freelance copywriter, which means I put words on websites, social media, emails. I help people sell with words. That is how I've gotten my start. I built a freelance business as a copywriter on Upwork, which is the number one freelancing platform, and done that for about four years. In the pandemic, so two years ago, I had a bunch of people reach out and say, can you show me how you do what you do? How did you build a business from home as a single mom? How did you make six figures? And, and another business was birthed. It was just like born. I was they're like, can I pay you to coach me to be a better freelancer? And I was like, oh my God, this is happening. So I started a second business about two years ago, coaching freelancers, how to build thriving freelance businesses. That's amazing. And what a great pivot. I love that you've done that because I even know for me, as I'm helping people build their businesses and and hire mostly, they're like, how do I find freelancers for XYZ or copywriters always come up. And so it's so amazing that you're helping coach people because we can lean on you to give referrals or, or help get people's names out there. I know I've done that a few times and that should be on our list of things to do together for sure. Well, I'll say this, you sparked in me Another business idea, which was train up freelancers, put them together on a tight platform, and then have people come and pay for access to a vetted crew of copywriters. And I was like, in the works, Jackie, it's in the works. Yay. (laughs) Well, I'm excited. I'm so excited. So what I would love to know is like, you've coached and hired a lot of freelancers. What in your opinion is the difference between a freelancer and an employee? To be true to the definition, if you hire a freelancer, but they work for you full time, we're playing semantics. They basically are an employee. So let's classify a freelancer as someone who has multiple clients or works for you maybe for a short period of time, but not full time. So maybe they only have 10 hours a week and they just work for you, but they have other things they're doing. That's got to be part of the conversation for freelancers when we're comparing to an employee. I have toyed back and forth between this. I've had lots of conversations and being coached myself on when is it time to hire an employee versus a freelancer. For me personally, the difference is that when you have an employee, it tends to be more loyalty. They buy into the vision more. Their only job is to support you and the company and the brand and the vision. Now, this is ideal, right? We know it doesn't always happen. But that's the premise behind it is that they bought into you, where you're going, what you're doing, and they want to be part of that. And you reward them by benefits or time off, or there's lots of other things that come with being an employee. For a freelancer, you may hire an employee and train them and raise them and bring them in and show them the ropes, knowing they're going to be with you for a long time. For a freelancer, you can hire an expert, a hired gun get in and out what you need at the price you want and be done and move on. That I think is a benefit for having a freelancer. The second is they're not reliant on you for their whole income. 
if you have a, a mama bear heart like I do, I don't want somebody reliant on me as a business owner making enough revenue to support myself and them and their family. I can't bear that burden. So I like a freelancer that has other clients, other jobs, and we work together when it makes sense. We work together on projects that are a good fit. And I ask them if they want to work on projects versus maybe an employee where you have to tell them this is what you're doing. Suck it up, right? Yeah, and it's interesting because... There's so many different use cases on why you would decide to bring on a freelancer, right? A lot of people listening to this podcast are building out a team for the first time and maybe they don't know what they all need help with or they do and they know it's not full time or they know it's something that they don't know about. Like they're not an expert in it. So they're not gonna hire someone full-time to teach them when they don't know how to do something like graphic design or copywriting or, or something of that nature. But I'm curious as you've been coaching, you coach in a different sense, but are there certain types of projects or scopes of work that you think lend themselves well to bringing on freelancers? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you just me as an example. I have learned over the years that I like to work on a project basis. I call it one and done, say goodbye, great knowing you, next. That's my personality type is I don't want to work with a client long-term. I don't really want to be at your five-year anniversary party. Like I like to move on to the next thing. So when somebody needs to refresh their website, or they need some clarity and strategy on their messaging. And we work for six weeks and we launch a beautiful website. Well, what are they going to hire me for? What am I going to stick around to keep doing? That work has been done. There's only so many websites you can build. You don't want to hire somebody for one thing and then feel like you have to pay them to just stay on your team. You end up creating a job for them or like, oh, can you now do my social media? I'm like, ah, that's not what I do. So unless you know it's a long-term role, that's a great reason to get a freelancer in to do like a project base. Right. Or if you know you have repetitive needs of a similar work, so like copywriting, you know that you're going to send out a newsletter frequently or graphic design, you know you're going to be needing, you know, updates to various content here and there. You can always onboard somebody as a contractor regularly, but as needed. <laughs> There's so many nuances to it. So I'll tell you, let me spin it from a different perspective that you wouldn't kind of be privy to in terms of that side. So when I coach freelancers, I say there's several different ways you can work with a client. You can work on an hourly basis. You can work on a retainer for the month. Hey, it costs $500 a month to work with me. And this is pretty much what you're going to get. It amounts to 10 hours a week. You know, it's a retainer. Some weeks you work a little bit more. Some weeks you work a little bit less. So there's hourly where you keep track from the 15 minute marks. There's retainer, which is a little bit loosey goosey. It's like, Hey, I'm just going to deliver work. If I get it done faster, yay for me, the freelancer. Then there's project-based where you have a scope of work and you have deliverables and timelines and milestones and you pay as things are delivered, right? So those are different ways that you could work with somebody. You could also work on a consultant basis. Maybe you need to hire somebody to give you the strategy and it costs $1,000 for two calls. So there's lots of different ways to price out bringing in the work that you need. It's also, and you're probably going to get to this, a great way to test somebody before you decide to hire them, right? Like, hey, this is really working out. I know a lot of freelancers will come to me and say, 
my client is asking to hire me full time, like, should I or shouldn't I? And so that's another way to, to kind of test the market. Yeah, for sure. I'm interested. This is a question I didn't, I didn't share ahead of time, but as we're talking, have you seen over the last few years, in your opinion, like more and more people wanting to become freelancers than before? Like, has there been a shift on that way? Like there's all this talk about the great resignation is part of that shifting to more of a gig freelancer economy in your eyes based on who you're, what you're seeing? hundred percent. Yeah. They've either tasted, so they've either kind of tasted the benefits of it during the pandemic by having to make some extra money on the side. I get it all the time because they're coming and they're like, I'm ready. Like I want to, I'm a little bit, I just got off a call with a lady who said, I have to go back to work next week and I don't want to do it. I'm out. I've been hustling over here, writing blogs on the side can you show me how to make real money at this? And I was like, Ooh, that's big pressure, but that's the conversations they're having. Some of my favorite ones are people that are stay at home moms or think they're stay at home moms who really do want to work have been hustling on the side and realized I'm making 50 grand. I'm making 70 grand. Like this is a thing. And then they outpace their partner. And we are having those discussions about like, what is really possible out there? I think you would be able to tell me this, but I think employers, I'm getting asked to do copywriting for big companies because they don't want to take on any more overhead. So I think it's coming from both directions. I agree. I think it's going to be so interesting, you know, the labor market over the next five, 10 years, how it shifts. And I think there are a lot more people who want to do their own thing. And we will see how labor laws shift as a result of that, which is scary. But, you know, even myself, right? Like I worked in-house for building out recruiting and HR teams for a long time. And I was like, I want to do my own thing. So I structure my stuff very similar, my pricing very similar to what you just described are the three options. And I do HR work. I think when people think about freelancers, they tend to think about them in creative roles. And I think you forget you can hire freelancers for almost any type of, of role that you need or scope of project that you need for sure. Let me share with you the dark side that a lot of people don't talk about when they dream of quitting their job and becoming a freelancer. This is the awakening moment. <laughs> I talk about this a lot because people have this idea. I'm like, I'm really good at what I do. People tell me I'm really good at what I do. I love what I do. I'm going to go do it for myself. So they love the work. What they did not buy into or they weren't prepared for is how do I get the work so that I can do the work. And then when it comes to pitching themselves, presenting themselves, putting proposals, discovery calls, negotiating, all of that, they literally freak out. They can't do it. And then there's this big gap between I'm not getting the clients. I'm not making enough money. So if someone's thinking about that and or if someone's thinking about hiring freelancers, just know there's that sales dance that has to happen before you get to just jump in and do the thing that you really love doing. Well, that's a great segue into Upwork. Can you describe, because I think Upwork helps with some of that, right? And it can. So I think there's a lot of folks listening to this podcast that have no idea what Upwork even is. Can you describe what it is and how you've used it? I used to have this analogy of the platform eBay until I realized that a lot of people don't really know eBay anymore. Okay. And it's funny, but 10 years ago, eBay was a master of, 
I have a product. I want to sell it. I'm going to throw it into the market and people bid on the product. And then you pick whatever bid you decide. It's very similar in that I'm a small business owner. I need help with my graphic design. I write up a job description and I put it on a platform and freelancers bid on the job. Now, it's not always the highest bidder, the lowest bidder. There's lots of factors that go into play. Do you have examples? Do you have portfolio? Do you have experience? Are you brand new? Sometimes money comes into play. Yeah, some people are looking for the cheapest. Smart people don't go for the cheapest. But it is a two-way marketplace where people who need help and people who can deliver help come together and, and they meet up. Upwork was Elance for a while. It was Odesk. I think it was Guru. It's changed hands. Oh, I didn't realize it's had that many names. And for the last wherever years, it has become an absolute monopoly. And I say that in a, probably a negative sense in that it is the premier place to go find freelancers. Yes, there's some other ones that you could dabble in. But if you're serious, you want to find people. There are millions millions of freelancers and job opportunities on that platform. So I have a love-hate relationship with it. I have zero affiliation with it, but you can't go past a steady stream of leads when you're trying to find people to talk to or to work with. You got to go where the people are. The clients are out looking for you with their wallet in hand, with a description of what they want. I don't know a better qualified lead. It doesn't mean they're a great client. It just means they have gotten to the point where their pain is so bad, they've registered for an account, they wrote up a job description, and they're ready to pay you. That would be a freelancer's dream once you figure out the puzzle of how to, to come market yourself. Can you describe how the pricing structure, the fees work for as an employer who wants to hire somebody on Upwork? Not that I'm trying to make you be the selling tool of Upwork, but I just think, you know, you can totally describe it. Yeah, I can. I can tell you the pros and cons and how to get around it and how to obey it and all the things, right? Upwork has done a couple new additions last year, which I think are very clever. There are four ways to hire somebody. One is you can hire somebody for a consultation. A consultation could be a half hour, an hour, I think two hours. And so they'll put a price for that time. The second way is hiring somebody hourly. On every Upwork profile, every freelancer has to put an hourly rate. Whether that's the hourly rate they actually charge, doesn't matter. You just have to put a rate up there. I have not charged by the hour in about three years. I refuse to. But my rate is like $95, whatever it's mid of range, right? The third way is to do a project base or a fixed fee to say, I want a new website and I'm willing to pay $3,000. And you can have people bid on that. You may end up paying more than that, but it's like a starting price point. And then the last one is new for Upwork, which is trying to compete with Fiverr. It is what they call a project catalog. So you can come to my profile and say, Lisa, I want a website review and pay me before we even get on a call or talk or anything. Let's say $250 to do a website review. I deliver the review to you without ever having to get on a call, doing a proposal. Like Fiverr has got very little interaction. That's another freelancing platform. It's definitely on the cheaper end of things. And so Upwork wants to give a cheap and quick option for you to hire somebody. It is a great test. It's a paid test for somebody. So I'm sure you've tried a million different ways to screen 
contractors on Upwork, but can you provide listeners with your process that you go through when you're looking to hire a freelancer? I'm assuming you add for your copywriting business. I think you also add freelancers to your team, right? So you're an expert. What is your process? Yes, I'm on both sides of the platform as a freelancer and as what they call a client. So I see the client side where I have to write a job posting, which can be daunting. I think Upwork has streamlined it a little bit. But for all of you freelancers out there listening, when a client has to come on and literally answer 12 or 15 questions, like jump through all of these hoops, figure out you know, their pricing, their time zone, their requirements. Do I want basic, intermediate? Do I want a a pro? How much am I going to pay? Is it short-term? There's so many options. And I've always said that most clients don't really know what they want. They don't really know how long it's going to take. And they certainly don't really know how much it's going to cost. They're kind of guessing. And if you understand that as a freelancer, You don't look at their job posting and go, oh, I'm not qualified for that. You go, I'm kind of qualified. Let's get on a call and let's really talk this out because a lot of clients don't, they're just guessing. They're trying to figure it out. I would argue the same is true for full-time hiring. When you see a job description, if you don't meet all of it, still throw your your hat in the ring. (laughs) Because they might fall in love with you. And I have one... So many, I'll just say this. I have seen so many job postings for $1,000. And truth of where I'm at in my career, I would never get on a call for somebody for for $1,000. But I have seen between the lines, realized what they really need, got on a call with them and flipped it into a $7,000 project, right? That's when you're really good at selling. So don't have to take everything at face value. So you write the job post as best you can, all right? And you put it out there and immediately you'll start getting people bidding on it. It's ridiculous. There's just like people like hungry dogs waiting to apply. Cut, paste, cut, paste, cut, paste, cut, paste. Just like anything, you're going to see where people aren't paying attention. They didn't really read what you wrote. They're wasting your time. I believe what you're looking for on Upwork are real human beings. And what you want to do in your job posting is include your name include your website, include details. Don't be too vague because the best freelancers will go do their homework really quickly and they'll check out your website. They will use your name in the application. They'll do a Loom video intro that says, hey, Jackie, I noticed that you're doing a new podcast called Hiring School. I'll tell you that will blow you away. You'll be like, whoa, they took the time to go check me out. So give them those breadcrumbs to go check you out and see who shows up and who doesn't show up. That's super interesting. As you're mentioning that, what ends up happening sometimes and when you post a job and you're reviewing applicants for a job, a full-time hire, a lot of times people will want to make it more challenging because they think it helps weed out the bad candidates, right? And like by making candidates jump through a lot of hoops for a full-time job, they think only the A players will do all of this. And I think the days of that for full-time hiring are gone, but in what you're describing, it's not there because these are people who are going through a sales process. Like they want to win the business. So I do think that's a really interesting difference that I just had this aha moment. So thank you for that. (laughs) And the other way you can weed out freelancers that are gonna waste your time 
I hate it as a freelancer. I hate it. But on Upwork, you're allowed to ask extra questions. You can personalize the question. You can use their stock standard question. How a freelancer responds in those questions is actually really important. It's one of the key things I teach freelancers is to pay attention to that because that's where you get to shine. That's where you get to stand out. That's where you get to drop in a Loom video. That's where you get to show your portfolio. Other freelancers will skip it and a stupid sentence. And you're like, you know what? They're, they either didn't get it or they're not really interested. So to me, that helps weed people out. I, I add that to my employment applications for full-time, only a couple, like literally the question I like is tell me something interesting about yourself that isn't on your resume. I just love to see what people write. Like, do you actually write something? And I had a person one time, right? Obviously I didn't talk to them, but they wrote, I find these things to be very annoying. <laughs> they're honest. I, they're honest. I was like, okay, you don't actually want this job. Bye. But those definitely help for sure. So that's a great one. Yeah. I find that the people I end up hiring, depending on what you need, if you need a technical skill, look, you got to look at their portfolio. You got to know if they're certified, like don't mess around with an accountant. That's not really an accountant, like just, you know, but when you're trying to find somebody creative that you want to gel with, when I put my job postings out, Jackie, I am hiring for the person first, the position second and their skill set third. This is just Lisa. So I have a scorecard. And I write down, I was like, uh, here's my scorecard for choosing, you know, who I'm going to work with. Of course, attitude, fast learner, quick response time, like all those soft skills that are really important. And one of my questions is like, rate yourself based on the scorecard. And it's really interesting to see which things resonate with them versus how long have you been doing the thing or show me your deep 10 year experience. I don't tend to with freelancers need that. I just want to know that I'm going to get along with the person that we're on the same page. We have the same kind of energy and mindset. Okay. So that's what you do for the application. Do you ask for work samples or what do you do? You know, you narrow it down to, I don't know, a handful of people or something based on how they answer Then What do you do? I always get on a call with them. So you, I know you recommend doing a phone interview first. You could do that. You could ask them to do a quick loom interview video to say, Hey, send me a quick loom and tell me how, what your process is like. I'm changing my viewpoint on like, I'm jumping more to videos first. I think it's so much, it's normal now, you know, now that everyone's working remote, I think hopping on videos is so normal and people are so receptive to that now. So I do think that's a good first step. I love just engaging and working with my clients and my team via Loom and Slack. So at least lets me know that they know what they're doing. Like, I don't know what Loom is. Like, okay, we're not going to work. So I would say, hey, shoot me a quick Loom. Keep it under two minutes. Tell me about your process. That's a next level, right? It's going to weed people out to like process. I don't have a process. I'm just going to do what you tell me to do. It depends on the type of freelancer that you want to work with. Can I shift gears and just share the difference between what I think is outsourcing to a freelancer and working with a freelancer? Yes, because I'm, I'm sure there's probably difference in how you do things for yeah. sure. And it really depends on you and what your needs are, but it depends on yourself. So the people that I coach that are freelancers that start to build a really great business, they're hitting their 100,000, 200,000. They're like, I need help. And I say, okay, there's two ways to go about this. One, you can send work out to somebody that you trust. The work comes back in and you deliver it to the client. It's like white labeling. It's like, hey, they could be overseas. They could be, it doesn't really matter. You don't really care. You don't talk to them too much. The other one, which is a little bit more of how I built my business was to bring people into my team that I really liked. 
that I wanted to get on calls with. I was kind of feeling isolated as a freelancer. I was like, I want people I like and can trust. And so I built a team of 12 that most of them I hired off of Upwork. And I brought them in and we had team meetings. I paid them to come to my monthly team meetings, right? They loved it. They stayed. They said, I could earn more money out there by myself. I choose to work with you because I miss this. I want leadership. I want, so it's kind of the mama bear under your wing, building a a team, even though they're not employees versus I'm a silo and I send my work out and then I, I get it back in and I give it to the client. Would you still sort of send the work out though to your team members? I have to imagine that they own a project or something. So so they still own something and deliver it to you, but you're just having, I would imagine more regular, they're like a regular contractor that you regularly send new projects to. Is that an accurate description? Yeah, so there's a little more collaboration. The difference is between whether they need to know your vision and where you're going and why, if it's important to them, if they deliver better work because they know that you care about them or, you know, if that matters, that's that style. Some people like, I don't really need to know what your vision is. I got my own business over here. I just, I'm delivering work for you versus mentoring, apprenticing, guiding, And you'll end up paying people more when you have that more of a relationship. I find that I can't shortcut people. I'm not going to shortchange them, I should say. I paid my freelancers really well, which led me to realize I didn't want to have a team because I ended up paying them so well. My profit margin went way down. I was like, wait a second. I'm not actually making as much money because I've outsourced this. Everybody says outsource everything you can. But you have to go by the bottom line in the end to say, am I still making more money by outsourcing? When you're interviewing somebody for either type of a freelancing role, do you have them do like a test project at all? Or do you always hire them for the full project based on your conversation and portfolio? I will tell you what I coach freelancers to never do an unpaid test. If somebody wants to pay you for a test, that's fine. But as soon as I start working with clients that are kind of even hesitating with test projects, either I have done my job explaining my process, my value, my experience, and why I'm the person to hire. I, I Lisa would not mess around with that as a copywriter. I would never do a test project with somebody. I'm like, I'm not your person. If it's a brand new person and they're new at freelancing, you want to check them out. That's fine. With the test project, you could basically, which is what you taught. I I feel like you taught me, which was, Hey, and we're going to start for four weeks. And in four weeks, we're going to have a check-in. And if you meet these KPIs, then I'm going to bump your rate up to this. And we're going to do more projects. And I had a four week an eight week and a 12 week kind of check-in point where money was what I was going to pay them per hour went up. And so that's, I guess, a way of testing somebody at a little bit of a lower risk. Yeah, that's what I did actually now that we're talking about it. I I hired a somebody to help me with recruiting on Upwork and we did a test project or not even a test project, but you know, let's do this for a month, see if you like working with me and if I like working with you and then we can reevaluate and and all of that. I think you get a true capture of what they're like to work with when you work with them for four weeks versus they just deliver you a two-hour project. You definitely get a good sample. Yeah. I think that it comes from the intention or the energy behind the test project, which to me in my business is either scarcity or lack or fear or, oh, someone's going to take advantage of me or I'm not going to hire properly. It's a very risk, like this is risky versus, hey, let's figure this out. We're going to learn from it one way or the other. 
I hired an online business manager, fell in love with her. She's an incredible human being. I was like, let's do this. I went a little bit more with my gut than all of the, the I, you know, and in the end, a month later, I was like, this is not working. And we had the conversation and I said, I didn't write the job description. Thought this is what I wanted, but now I know I really need this. This has helped me realize what I needed. I'm so thankful for you for helping me get clear on it. It wasn't like, oh, you didn't do it. I, you know, I picked the wrong person. I took ownership. I was like, I wasn't really clear on what I think I wanted. Yeah, I did that too, which I think is a super interesting. Well, I have two things I want to say back to the test project and then circle back to this. I think when you're hiring freelancers, they tend to have portfolios and samples of work to send to you, which I think are good enough for a test project. Just like when you're hiring a full-time employee, ask them to send a portfolio or you can have them do some sort of quick little work sample, but it doesn't have to be anything like this huge project by any means. And then I also did switching gears a little bit. I did the same thing when I I was growing and I think every small business does this. And I, I... I'm going to do a whole episode for the show with one of my friends that an assistant is not the first hire you should make. And that's what everybody thinks, right? And I did it too. I was like, oh, I want to hire. She wasn't even an assistant, but I was going to train her to be a recruiter and do some of my operations for my business because I needed help. And as she got into the work, I was like, I actually need specialists. Like I need experts to do some of the work. And it was through hiring her for about a month that I realized that. And it happened to work out that she ended up getting a full-time job. So it ended up working out beautifully. But I was realizing that after I made the hire where I was like, I don't think this is what I actually need. And I think that hiring freelancers is a great way to test into building a team, test into what you need. Like, as a small business owner, you definitely have projects that need to get done that you don't know how to do. So hire a freelancer to do that and then see how you learn so much about yourself in the process, so much about, oh crap, I have this employee. I need like systems to give them the work and stay organized. And oftentimes, (laughs) so I'll give some advice. When I meet a freelancer that's growing quickly, and they and they're like, oh, I'm I'm at capacity. I need support. I'm going to hire somebody. I'm like, hold up, you got to earn the right to hire somebody. Period. Whether it's freelancing or like, I said, number one, have you maxed out your capacity? Have you streamlined all of your stuff? Have you got yourself organized? Do you have a process? Are you at your top of your game, maxed out? Right. And usually it's like, well, I'm sloppy or this, I don't know organized. I was like, do not bring anyone into your chaos. That is not fair. Not fair to them, not fair to you. I said, it's just, it's just not fair. So can you increase your capacity? Can you get more childcare? Can you get somebody to cook for you? Can you like, are you maxing out the uh, availability that you have? Number one, then two, you have to have the processes. And oftentimes we think well, hiring another human being to do the work that we do There are so many automated tools between ClickUp and Asana and workflow automations that you don't maybe have to hire anybody. You could hire a freelancer to automate all of your systems for you. Then level three is if you still max that out, then you're bringing in somebody into an organized process with already set up systems. You can pay them a lot less to babysit the systems than to like come up with it themselves. So that is my order of how people are able to kind of grow. 
I love that. And write that down when you're listening to this, because that is the best advice that you can get for growing your business. Like there are way too many ways to automate things that, and pay someone who's good at it. For example, I'm building a course. I think I'm gonna, I can figure out Kajabi. I don't really want to, (laughs) like my time is better used somewhere else. So I think I'm gonna hire a Kajabi expert to do that. But it's such brilliant advice, such brilliant advice. And that's actually what I was using her for was to help automate things, which she was doing a wonderful job. And that's when I realized oh, I actually need a social media person and I need someone to do my podcast. Like that's what I actually need. So it's fine. You learn and you become a better leader when you do it. You learn. And here's the advice for working with any human being, but clients or freelancers is manage expectations up front before the conversations get difficult. Have a difficult conversation before things get difficult. That's what I wanted to say, which would be, Hey, I think this is what I need, but in one month, let's check in. Like give yourself a back door to check back in instead of going, I love you, you're amazing. And then like a few weeks later, you're like, oh shit, this isn't working. And now you're backpedaling. Just set up the thing that says, I'm new at this. I'm not quite sure how this is gonna go. I'd like to start you here. You might end up being over here. You might say, you don't wanna work with me. Let's give ourselves the space to make those decisions in a month and, and not feel bad about it. And then what I have found and what happened with this fabulous lady is if you're not feeling it, guaranteed they're not feeling it. There is no way one person's like, this is amazing. I love working for you. And you're like, ah, this isn't working for me. So some people don't have the voice to be able to say that. And you're being a kindness by saying, How's, how are you feeling about this? Because I'm unsettled, right? So being able to say, we're going to have this conversation So that when it's time to have it, it's not like, oh, we need to talk. It's like, remember, we're going to have a talk. And then you say all the things you got to say. Right. You set up that milestone. And oh, so many things to unpack. You're just such a good leader. Like to be able to be so honest and it obviously comes very natural to you. It's not natural to a lot of people. Like people want to pretend, people feel like they have to come across as they know what's going on. And like, they just forget that if you level set with people and actually show your insecurities, your areas you don't know, it makes it such so much easier to work with people. And so I just want to tell you, kudos to you. You can tell that that comes naturally being humble and honest. And I think that's why you have such a thriving business because that's a, such a great skill to have. People are desperate for truth. They're desperate for, you know, this authenticity. They're desperate for somebody to be like, wow, I don't think I did that really well. And say, how do you feel about that? Right. It happens with clients. It happens with partners. It happens with kids. You know, it goes all around. I guess the last question I want to ask you about is, have you had to learn any lessons the hard way that you could share maybe some some lessons you've learned so that listeners can not make the same mistakes that you may have made in the past when hiring a freelancer? Yeah, I've shared a few already. I'll share some more. <laughs> One was thinking that I needed something without just, and I didn't know. It wasn't something that I made intentional. It was like, ah, oh, I thought I needed this. And I realized I needed that. So I don't even call it a mistake. It's like, oh, now we know, right? So so that's one. The 
biggest thing that I'm talking about now to people I coach that think they want to build an agency, they want to build an empire. There's something in our ego that wants to grow, which I love is what I mentioned before, or maybe I didn't get to mention it to you. My second year of business, I did pretty well. And I was like bursting. I had a wait list. I was like, I need more help. I need to get people on my team. And I went on this crusade to build a big agency. I have 12 people on my team, beautiful souls. I loved every one of them. It was one of the most amazing years. I made less money, even though I doubled my revenue, I made less money in my bank account by having an agency than I did working by myself. And so last year I scaled it right back to just me and like one other part-timey person. I made less in revenue, but I doubled my profit. I made so much more money in my bank account. And so I say that because we think the next step is to bring people on and get more business. When in reality, sometimes we need to get better at selling. We need to get more strategic. We need to narrow our niche. We need to figure out what we do better. We need to tighten up our messaging and our sales funnels versus bringing on more people. And so that's just a cautionary tale. I don't regret a single moment of it, but if you were going to talk about bottom line, I'm like, oh yeah, no, this, you are paying people. And as much as we like, oh, you should pay everybody who can work for less than you can do it per hour. I tried it. I tried it. I tried it. And as I saw the money just dripping out, I was like, ah, it doesn't always pay off in the end. Yeah. Yeah. That's good advice for sure. In any area of the business, for sure. Awesome. Well, I am so grateful that you took some time to chat with us. I feel like we've covered anything, but is there anything huge that I've missed asking you about, about freelancer hiring? I just think that there's so much value in getting on a call with somebody and having honest conversations. I think instead of taking a client at face value, a job posting at face value, or a freelancer at face value and thinking you know what is going to be, I think there is so much power and magic in creating something. You have a starting point. I like this industry or I kind of like this person or they're kind of a good fit. You got to have something. But by being creative and by being open, call it collaborative, you, instead of having black or white, you can come up with this thing that you didn't even know. So as a hiring person, try not to be so fixated on the outcome. Collins always talks about, oh, what is his name? From good to great. He says, find great people, get them on the bus and then put them in a seat. Oftentimes we want to spend all this time crafting the most detailed job posting and one unicorn has to fit that one thing. And then we get frustrated, be a little bit more open about it. Be a little bit more curious and go, okay, I think this is what I want. Let me navigate this and see what I really end up with. That works both sides as a freelancer the client may change. And as the client, the freelancer may change and you may end up with something better than you even think. I always think it's so much more, and you you hit on this a little bit, but it's so much more important to get clear on the type of person that you want to work with. And I think the most important thing you can do if you're hiring is get clear on what are those core values of your company that you require every employee or any freelancer, anybody that you work with to have, what are those qualities? 
the last co-founders I worked for, they always said like, these are things we're not really willing to teach. Like you need to have a baseline level of these skills or these qualities because we're not going to teach them. And I think if you just got clear on that, most of the things you need people to do, like you can teach them or they can learn. But I just think we don't get clear on the type of people we want to work with first. So I agree with that for sure. How can our listeners connect with you? How can they follow you, learn from you? Like, where can we direct them? How can they they get to know more about you? You know, if you're a freelancer, I'd love to connect with you. We have a really thriving freelance Facebook group. I do live teachings every month. I'm teaching about how to do discovery calls um, next week, how to write proposals, how to use Upwork. If you're curious about Upwork, I've built uh, courses that are free and then low cost and masterminds. And there's just great entryway into dabbling to all the way to scaling to multiple six figures. And so that's in full thrive freelancers and Facebook or fullthrive.com. But just follow me on Instagram. I've got enough where I throw out between mindset and freelancing and copywriting enough to keep people engaged and interested and be like, what are we talking about today? Throwing a bit of travel and personal development. I'd love to have people follow me on Instagram. Amazing. Well, we will make sure to drop all of the links in the show notes so people know where to find you. And I'm so grateful that you took some time out of your, your day to chat with so me today. And I, can't, I, this. I can't wait for people to learn from you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So as always, thanks for tuning in to this episode with the amazing Lisa Coons. You can follow me on Instagram at People Principles. Also make sure that you follow Hiring School on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you rate and review. It's how more people will become better at hiring and learn all about freelancing. So thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week. Bye.